Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you'd like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you'd like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 256-483-4991. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, continues with part two of his series, Question Theology. Good morning, Faith Church. Hey, man, it's great to see everybody here. Awesome, awesome, man. Great weekend. Thanks for showing up, showing out. I want to welcome all of our Faith Church family. Guys, you're awesome. Just want you to know how much I love being your pastor. We got a great group of uh, uh, people here on our team, a lot of pastors, hard workers, man. We just want you to know we love serving you. We love what we get to be a part of. We love what God's doing in and through our church. Anybody here excited, man, for what God's doing at Faith? So listen, guys, man, we're glad that you're here. I want to welcome again all of our first-time guests. Thanks for showing up. If you're watching online as a regular tender who couldn't be here this morning or you're just checking us out, I want to welcome you. Thanks for showing up. Well, hey, listen, guys, um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited. Really, we're in, this, in the middle of this series, and we're kind of talking about questions because all of us ask questions. In fact, we said this last week that on average, the average person asks uh, on average 100 questions a day which means we're kind of a question people, and we ask questions kind of to satisfy our curiosity. We ask questions to get information. We ask questions to generate conversations and relationship, and we're not the only ones. In fact, when you read the Gospels, when you read the Gospel sketches, when you read the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find that Jesus asks a lot of questions as well. In fact, he asks a lot of questions, but here's what's crazy is, in asking these questions, Uh, He was asked by people, 183 questions. Kind of cool. You can go through and you can track them. When people heard about Jesus, when they came across Jesus, a lot of people, as you could imagine, had questions for him. I mean, think about it. If you could have a conversation with Jesus, you probably, at least me, I know, I would ask more questions than I would have statements. Like, I would want to listen to what he had to say more than I would want him to listen to what I had to say. But here's what's crazy. Even though Jesus was asked by other people, What's recorded, 183 questions, Jesus asked people over 300 questions, which means it was one of the primary tools that he used to teach people. You say, well, pastor, what do you mean? Because here's what we know is that Jesus was God in the flesh, right? The word is he was the incarnation, right? We know that as we look at his authority over storms, over demons, over sickness, the things he knew at times, he knew what people were thinking, what was in their hearts, what was in their minds, that Jesus was God. So this is, this is what's important. So Jesus, if he's asking a question, he's not looking for information. He's got all the information. Jesus isn't looking to get information. Jesus, by asking questions, is looking to give information. In fact, this is what we've been saying through this whole series, and we'll continue to say, the question is never for his information, but our transformation. So, right, so when Jesus is asking a question, he's not trying to figure something out. He's got it all figured out. He's not trying to get information. He's got all the information. He doesn't, he doesn't really know, uh, care about our answer. He already knows what our answer is because he knows our thoughts and our attitudes. He knows what's in our heart. When God asks questions, when Jesus in the New Testament asks questions, he's trying to get us to stop and kind of look on the inside and really dig down deep and get the answer because if we'll get the answer 
It'll change the way we live. It'll transform the way we live. And again, we said this last week, a lot of us, we know the answers. We just don't like to really own the answers because we own the answers. We're responsible for the answers. And so it's just kind of cool. It's really interesting to watch how all of this unfolds. So we started a series around these questions entitled Question Theology. And again, it's not our way of questioning what the Bible teaches. It's our way of saying, hey, we're going to look at some of the questions. Again, over 300. We're going to look at just a handful of questions that Jesus asked, pull back and ask ourselves these same questions to see what it is that God wants us to learn, how he wants us to change, how he wants us transformed. And he asked, right last week, we looked at this question. Jesus asked this guy who had been sick for 38 years, couldn't walk, lame for 38 years. Jesus looks at him and he says, hey, uh, would you like to be healed? I mean, on the surface, it seems like a ludicrous question. Would you like to be healed? Well, of course. But I would encourage you, if you weren't here, to go back and check it out because we know from it that really God was asking a much deeper question. Are you really ready to live this life? Hey, if I reach out and touch you, are you ready to walk into this world and change it? And so huge question. So today we're going to look at another question, but here I want to just kind of throw this out. Has anybody noticed this trend? It's been around for a little while. If you're on social media, especially Facebook, I know if you're like under 20, we're not on Facebook, we're too cool. But I see some of you on there. You're on there. Just admit it. But it's all over social media, but especially Facebook. Have you guys noticed where people are asking other people opinions about stuff? And when I say opinions, like, first of all, if you post something on Facebook, you're going to get other people's opinions whether you want them or not. I don't mean that, and I don't mean recommendations. Like, there's this thing now they have on Facebook, on social media, where you can, like, get a recommendation, or people will ask, hey, I'm looking for a good veterinarian, or uh, what phone do you think I should use, or, you know, things, what movie should I watch this weekend? I'm not even talking about that. Has anybody seen kind of this trend where people will just jump on Facebook and ask kind of this consensus question for these big life situations? Like, just asking, hey, what do you think I should do with this? Like, here's, here's a couple. This isn't a big one, but I think it's still kind of big. Like, I've seen people ask, hey, should I get a cat or a dog? Now, I'm just here to tell you there's two kinds of people in this world. There are, there are cat people and there are Christians. <laughs> it, listen, now, if you're a cat person, you, listen, let's, let's just walk through this for a minute. Let's just walk civil. Let's just make, keep it civil for a minute. Let's just be honest, right? There's... First of all, dogs, dogs are a lot like Christian people. Listen, dogs love everybody. Jesus said, this is how, this, he said this, he said, this is how people are going to know you're my disciple, that you love everybody. Listen, dogs love everybody. Don't matter if you got money, don't matter how much you got, if you don't have any, doesn't matter what color your skin is. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter your sexual, sexual, it just doesn't matter. Dogs love everybody. And dogs are forgiving. You can kick your dog in the morning and yell at him, and when you come home, he's like, ah, I'm glad to see you. <laughs> Like, it doesn't matter. Like, dogs just walk in grace and love. That, us. Cats, come on now. Cats, cats carry the carnal sin that dropped the archangel Lucifer out of heaven. Pride. Cats are proud and arrogant. Listen, don't feed your cat one time. He'll hold a grudge for a month. Right? Am I right? So, but it's crazy because people ask, right? So should I get a dog or should I get a cat? Well, like, I can give you an opinion what I think I like, but I don't know who you are, where you live. I don't know what, right? So you can't, really ask, you can't really answer that question. I'll see people ask, hey, should I buy or lease a car? Like, I can give you my opinion, but it's just, it's just weird to me that people are asking these kind of big life questions, just this general consensus question on Facebook. I seen one, this is true, I seen one about a month ago, made me think about this. Someone said, hey, do you think it's too soon to get married when you've only been dating six weeks? 
Now, I don't answer many of those questions, but I almost chimed in. I'm <laughs> like, I know in some of you, I know there are people in this church that only dated for a very short period of time and got married. And so that, I think that can work, but it's just crazy. I just, I just don't understand how people can just kind of throw big life decisions out. And here's my real question is, do they take all of those opinions into consideration before they make their decision? Because I just don't think every opinion is equal. Right? I mean, everybody, like a nose on their face, everybody has one. They have an opinion too. And not all opinions are equal. If I'm in a difficult place and I want to know something, right, I don't want just an opinion. I want a helpful opinion. And in fact, I don't want just a helpful opinion. If I can get it, I want the truth. Is anybody with me? And here's the thing is, what determines the difference between an opinion and a helpful opinion and really getting not just a helpful opinion but the truth is for somebody to really know you. For somebody to know your situation. And not just to know you and know your situation, but in order to get the opinion that we need, to get the information we need, someone has to be qualified to give it. Right? Someone has to kind of be in the place where they can answer that question. And so today, we're going to look at a story of a guy who comes and he wants an opinion. And boy, I'm just going to tell you right now, he gets an answer. And I don't know, in fact, you're going to find out in the story that he doesn't really like the answer he gets. In fact, the answer he gets might be the answer you get today, and you may leave and you may not like the answer. But what you have to wrestle with, what you have to wrestle to the ground is this, is that the one who gives the opinion is absolutely qualified to give it. And not only is he qualified to give it, he knows you better than you know yourself. And so we're going to look at a story. It's a story. It's In fact, it's entitled In the Gospels because... This story is recorded in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's recorded in Matthew 19, Mark 10, and Luke 18. And we get in this story. It's called the story of the rich, young ruler, right? Great guy, jumps on the scene, and here's where the story picks up. Check this out. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him, knelt down, and asked. Watch this. Here's a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't know about you guys, but as a dad, I like this guy right out of the gate. Like, this is the kind of guy I think I want my girls dating, right? I mean, he's passionate, right? He doesn't come, kind of come moseying with his pants kind of half down, underwear showing. Like, he come, he's passionate about life. Like, he comes running to Jesus, probably Pentecostal, probably got a charismatic thing going on. Right? He's not like, this is church, it should be solid. He sees Jesus and like he takes off running. Not only is he passionate about life, but watch this, man, I really love this. Not only did he come running, but he knelt down. He's got this kind of humility thing. Like he's like, okay, I don't, you know, I don't have it all together. I need some answers. And so he comes and he doesn't look face to face at Jesus. Like he puts himself in a position where he kneels down, he humbles himself, looks up. And check this out. He, he not only just has kind of this passion, this humility, but he's got some good manners, right? This is the kind of guy I want. Girls, are you taking notes? Like, is it? Good teacher. Like, he shows this honor and he shows this respect. What's really interesting, and I want you to see this on the front end of this story, is this guy who's rich. He's got money. He's got wealth. He's got life. It's going together. He's young, right? So that means he's got his, his health together. He's probably good looking. He's still got a six-pack going on. He's a ruler. Now we know from the other gospels that he is, a, he is a Jewish ruler. He is a person of importance in the temple. In fact, we'll come back at the end of this story. And this guy, I think, 
And there are some, some theologians who, who all kind of agree that this guy wasn't just a rich young ruler. He was the richest, youngest ruler at this time. This guy had clout. People knew who this was. But here's the thing. Even though he had, this, check this out, even though he had money, even though he had his strength, even though he had his health, even though he had position, even though he had clout, I want everybody to know something on the front end of this story that you can have everything this world has to offer and not have everything you need. Because even though this guy had a checklist, like I want to be important, I want to be someone of stature, I want to have money, I want to live in a nice house. Like even though this guy was living the American dream, he recognized that he didn't have everything he needed. And some of you in this room, and maybe you're new to church, and maybe you're kind of new to spiritual things, and like you got this life checklist, you got like these things that you want to do, and I want to get my degree, and I want to, I want to graduate, and I want to marry that special person, and I want to get a nice house, and like, I want to get out of debt, and I want to start accumulating wealth and money. And, like, and that's okay, and I think those, those things are great. I think it's okay to aspire to those things. But at the end of the day, when you're checking off your list, you got to make sure that you hit the one that is absolutely most important, and it is right here. It's eternal life. Because if you have everything this world has to offer, but you don't have eternal life, you will die and regret that you got everything but what you needed. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate that. Y'all here today, someone shout amen. Keep going. So he asked the questions, hey, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And I love it because Jesus, we talked about this last week, Jesus, out of the over 300 questions or 183 questions he was asked, he only answered three of them directly. Often he answers a question with the question, and this is what he does here. Guy asks him, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Notice what Jesus does. Jesus answers his question with a question. Hey, why do you, why do you call me good? So this guy runs up, Jesus, what do I have to do? Good teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And before Jesus answers the question, what he does here is so big, he establishes himself as the one to answer it. He says, hey, wait a minute. Let me call you into question. Before before I answer it, I want you to really understand who you're talking to. Why, Why are you calling me good? Why are you calling me good? Because... Jesus knew, right, it happened then, it's happening now, like, we kind of can throw words around, and when we throw words around, they kind of really lose their essence, they lose their importance. Like, let me just give you an example. Anybody here, Rick and Tony's, we got Rick and Tony fans in the house. Now, let me, wait, 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 let me just get real specific. I'm talking about when you roll in, and they give you a little white bag. Some of you are feeling it right now. And you grab it, and it's warm. Something warm, and you unroll it. And you break it apart, and it's soft and warm. Just wait. Y'all got to savor it. And it's that, if you, some of you, see, this is what's funny is when I throw out restaurants, I'm telling you, I should get some kickbacks. Every time I talk about a restaurant, attendance goes up that Sunday. If you have never had Riccatoni's bread when they deliver it, whoo, it is Jesus in a bag. I'm telling you. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. That's what he meant. That's what he was talking about. So let me just ask the question. Anybody here agree, if you've had it, anybody here agree that Rick and Tony's bread is awesome? Can, I just, can they get some love? Now, now, so I agree. I agree. Now let me ask you another question. I love our worship team. Really, we have some incredibly skilled musicians. We just don't have skilled musicians. We have musicians that make tons of sacrifices. They rehearse and learn songs and get together through the week and get together on Wednesday nights to rehearse, and they show up, and they put their blood, gut, sweat, and tears into it. Anybody here think our worship team is awesome? 
Okay, now, let me ask you one more. Let me ask you one more. Anybody here think the God of all creation, the one who set quasars in the night sky? He hung the sun, the stars, and the moon. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is outside of time and creation. He made everything that you set your eyes on in who you are, in your blood vessels and everything that puts you together and the DNA that can stretch from here to the moon and back 26 times to define who you are as a human being. He made us, didn't just make us, made us in his image, gave us a living soul that will live forever somewhere. God Almighty. Does anybody here think God is awesome? So, so wait, wait. So wait, so which is it? Is, is Riccatoni's bread awesome? Or is our worship team awesome? Or is God awesome? Because if we're using the same word, like if we can just be honest, then like God is, is as good as bread. See how it breaks down? So this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is getting in this guy's chili saying, wait a minute, before you throw around this word good, who are you talking to? See, I throw that word out, that sentence out. I've had to drop it on my, my kids, especially my son, because he's kind of getting, right, kids, when they go through, they start hitting that puberty state, and they, the voice starts getting deep, they start thinking they got something going on. So the dad's got to put him in check every now and then. So he might raise, he might get swole a little bit. And I just got to ask him, who do you think you're talking to? Now listen, I know the answer. I want him to realize when he's getting attitude that the guy he's talking to can kill him. <laughs> so this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're asking me, Right? You can ask a lot of people. You can survey a lot of people. Hey, how do I get eternal life? You can ask a thousand people and get a thousand opinions. But this guy comes and he says, Jesus, you're a good teacher. This word good means intrinsically good. It means down to the bone, to the guts good. And so this guy is claiming that Jesus is the one to answer this question. So he's saying, Jesus ain't okay, before I answer it, do you really believe I'm good? Because here's, here's what I want everybody to know, and I, I just believe this all my heart. Check this out, and this is your fill in the blank. This is really important. The greater someone's qualification, the greater our submission. If someone's really qualified to answer a question, then we should submit to that. If we're asking somebody's opinion, we're just asking general people like a general opinion, like we don't have to listen. Hey, what movie should I go see? Like, you guys will give me love stories and action movies, and I, maybe I should listen, maybe I shouldn't. Hey, what doctor should, right? Maybe you can give your opinion. What phone should I buy? But I'm just telling you, right? When you ask the question, when you ask the question, check it out. I asked one of these questions I've seen. Should, should, I, should I buy a car or should I lease? Everybody's got an opinion, but this, I want you to hear this. If I sit down with somebody, if I sit down with somebody who's got an associate's in counting, has a BA in business, and has a PhD in economics, he's gone through my entire financial background. He knows my credit score. He knows my budget. He knows financial where I'm at. He knows my lifestyle, how much I'm driving, where I'm driving. He knows all the deals on the radar. And he looks at me and says, Steve Husky, I think you should lease a car. Listen, that cat is qualified to talk about whether I should buy or lease. And if I really believe that, then I'm going to submit myself to what he said. Are you all hearing me? So, like, there's this principle, and we don't do this very well. Like, we go to people and we call them something, and then we don't really submit to what they say. Doctors. Like, we go to doctors and we go listen to what the doctor said, but then we go home and jump on WebMD. What? <laughs> and we get on Web. So, we'll go to the doctor, and I say, Well, here's what you have wrong. You have A, B, and C. And we're like, That can't be right. I was on WebMD this morning. It said that's not what's wrong with me. So you can decide either you believe your ability to search WebMD or you believe the guy that went to school for 12 years. Like, I'm going to the guy that has more qualifications. Now, I know doctors make mistakes, but 
ultimately, they're more qualified, and the more qualified someone is, I think the more submitted we should be. Let me just give you one more. So some y'all know this, and I told them I'd give them a shout-out. My wife and I, we've been working out at a place down in Muscle Shoals, no doubt fitness, doing a great job helping us reach some life goals, getting in shape. And so they work us hard. It's been great. But here's the thing. When I first sat down, they started going through, like, our diet. I got a really bad habit. Maybe some of you guys eat like this. Like, I didn't eat breakfast and often didn't eat lunch. And then I would go home and pig out for dinner. Like, I felt good. I'm just going to be honest. And so, like, no, you can't eat like that. One of the things that they said, and I never, I, like, I probably have eaten breakfast 10 times in my life. I just don't eat breakfast. I'm not a breakfast eater. And so you got to start eating breakfast every morning. And not just breakfast, but like four eggs and like six pieces of bacon. So I'm looking at that saying, I can't eat all that. Now, I know some of you find that hard to believe. Keep your opinion to yourself. <laughs> Seriously, like we're sitting down at breakfast. Like, I'm like, ugh. Like, and I'm arguing with them. I'm like, listen, I, I can't, I'm not a breakfast eater. I don't need to eat breakfast. I don't want to eat breakfast. I can't eat all that breakfast. And I'm just telling you, like, I don't really know about the physiology of the body, and I don't know about nutrition. So I can ask myself, am I going to go by my opinion, or am I going to go by the opinion of a trainer who's doing something for life, who's gone to school for it, who owns a business for it? And I'm just telling you, when I submitted myself to someone who's qualified, he helped me get to where I wanted to be. Are you all hearing me? I just want you to know, when Jesus says, hey, are you sure you really believe I'm good? What Jesus is doing is he's recalibrating the standard of good. He's saying, before I tell you how to be good, you better recognize there's only one person who can really answer that question. Let me ask you a question. Who is better qualified to answer the question of who is good other than God himself? See, when Jesus goes back, go back to this verse. When Jesus says this, he says, why do you call me good? Jesus asks, only God is truly good. Jesus is, he's, what he's saying is, God's the only one that can really answer this question. So before I tell you what the answer is, you better acknowledge who I am. Because this is not just one opinion of many. There's only one that's going to really answer the question for you, and that's me. And I want everybody here to know as you search life and you look for answers and you try to figure this thing out. Listen, you can talk to friends and you can read articles and you can Google words. You can get on Facebook and you can talk to people. You can talk to grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles. And there are people that have life history and there are people that have experiences. But I'm telling you at the end of the day, there is only one person that you can go to that can answer your deepest desire, that can give you the information for life itself, that help you overcome every struggle. There is only one person and it is God himself. Jesus is the answer to every problem. And hear this, watch. Listen, if you'll come and you'll really believe that, here's how you'll know you believe it, is you'll start listening. Jesus asked this question. He said, one time he said, hey, listen, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I tell you to do? He's saying, like, it can't, either I'm your Lord, and if I'm your Lord, then you're going to submit to my Lordship. But if you're not going to submit to my Lordship and do the stuff I've called you to do, then don't call me Lord. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you really believe I'm the good teacher, then you're going to submit yourself to what I'm teaching you. But if you don't believe I'm a good teacher, then go get your opinion somewhere else. And I'm just telling you that I have learned and I have experienced and I have found out and I have discovered that Jesus is a good teacher. And so he goes on, he starts to answer this question. Check this out. Verse 19. He says, but to answer your question, so... Notice he doesn't get this guy to confirm whether he believes he's good. He said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to answer your question, but you have to decide if you're going to believe the one who's given it to you. But to answer your question, he says, you know the commandments. Now, some of you in this room, you don't know the commandments. That's okay. He was talking to a Jewish guy 
who grew up in the Jewish synagogue. He knew God's law. He knew the Ten Commandments. And he goes through and he starts listing some of these Ten Commandments. He says, you know the commandments. Watch this. I want you all to count these with me. He says, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. Keep going. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Now, how many, how many commandments did he give this guy? Six. Now, does anybody know how many commandments there are? Ten. So why did Jesus only list six? I, it, maybe it was a long day. He was kind of tired. He forgot four of them. I mean, after all, this was I mean, several thousand years ago that he gave to Moses. Maybe he forgot. Absolutely not. He gives, God, he gives this guy six of the ten because there are two divisions of the law. There are two divisions of the law. And the six that he lists here are the six that apply to our relationship with each other. That the other four, and we're going to see these in a minute, the other four apply to our relationship with God. That the two divisions of the law, and Jesus said it when someone asked him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus answered and said, hey, I'll tell you, it really comes down to just two. That if you'll love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you'll love your neighbor as yourself, if you really love your, your neighbor, you're not going to cheat. You're not going to testify falsely against him. You're not going to commit adultery, Right? So Jesus, he asked this guy just six. He doesn't ask the other four because he knows this guy can't answer this one so well. So there's, Jesus can ask a lot of you guys questions like, hey, man, how you doing in your relationship with your wife? You're like, man, things are great. Well, how you doing at work? Well, you know, I fudge bottom lines and I stab people in the back to get the business deal. And like God can look at all of our lives and there's areas where we feel like we're pretty good and then there's some areas we're not doing so well. And so he gives him these six, and notice what this guy says. Check his response out, verse 20. He says, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed, this is almost funny, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Come on, man, really? Wait a minute, for real? Let's just go back, let's just go back to the last one. Honor your father and your mother. This guy right here, there's no way unless he just skipped puberty and being a teenager. Because being a teenager and honoring your father and mother, those two things are very difficult to do at one time. Does anybody hear what I'm telling you? Like honoring your parents when you're trying to figure out life and, man, you're getting rebellion in your heart. And you're pushing boundaries. It is really hard. I remember, like, before I became a teenager, my parents telling me what to do. Anybody here remember this moment? I think every, like, prebubescent kid has had this moment when your dad tells you to do something and you don't like it and you're laying in your room. I hate you with all fright. And, like, we just don't like our parents. And, man, we're yelling. I remember one time I cussed at my parents, and I don't remember what happened for, like, three days after that. But <laughs> I... And so wait a minute. So this guy, watch this. This guy says, hey, I've done it all since my, like, I'm good. I've obeyed my parents. I've never stolen anything. I've never cheated anybody. Really? Because I think this guy's not really being honest because Jesus, he takes these commandments and he takes it to a whole nother level. And he asks guys like this. He says, hey, you've heard it written not to commit adultery in your heart. He says, but I say to you, if you've even looked at a person with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Jesus said, you've heard, it, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But Jesus said, if you've even hated somebody in your heart, you've committed murder already. So he's saying, come on, man. You, are you serious? You're going to look me in the eye right now and tell me that you've, come, you've kept all these commandments. No way. But this guy, he lets him kind of think this. Watch Jesus. This is a great, great, great verse. Watch this. James 2.10, this is, this is so big. The Bible says, for the person who keeps all of the laws... Come on, what's this? Except one. 
is as guilty as the person who's broken all of God's laws. See, what this guy was doing, here's what's crazy is, Jesus, when he asked him the question, why do you call me good? What Jesus was really doing was he was trying to pin down that this guy was proud. He wasn't looking for an answer. He thought he already had the answer. He thought he already had it all together. What he was looking for from Jesus wasn't how to get eternal life. He was looking for a high five. Jesus, he was looking for Jesus. You got it all together, man. Your life is perfect. Man, you've, you've treated your parents well. And you've never stole anything in your life. What this guy was looking for, he wasn't looking for an answer. He was looking for affirmation. Jesus gets down where it matters and calls this guy out and says, listen, you've not kept everything the way you think because he says, listen, if you just break one law, you've broken it all. And if you're here and you're like, how is that fair? Because God never gave us the law to establish our righteousness. God gave us the law to show us that none of us are righteous. Here's the way Romans says it. Paul says it this way in Romans 5.20. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. See, so I might struggle with honoring my parents. You might struggle with lusting after girls. I might struggle with cheating. You might struggle with uh, dealing falsely. Like, I might struggle with keeping God first in my life. You might struggle with something else. The point is the purpose of the law is for all of us who are trying to be good in our own ability. God, how do I get eternal life? If you ask the average person on the street that question, they'll tell you, be good enough. Do more good stuff than you do bad, bad stuff, and you'll have eternal life. And what this guy was doing was saying, I got it all together. Like, I've been good in all these areas. And he says, listen, he says, hey, all you got to do is break one law. And he goes on, and Jesus, in fact, he says this. Go on in this story. Check out what he says. He says he looks at the man, and Jesus felt genuine love for him. This is, this is so important. Because a lot of times we feel like when we're messing up in life that the last thing God feels towards us is love. Like a lot of us, we're just trained to think or raised to think. I don't even know where it comes from that, God, once I get my life together, then you'll love me. God, once I kind of figure this out and I navigate it, once I break the addiction, once I fix my marriage, once I get my life on track, once everything's going okay, once I go to church enough, once I start reading my Bible enough, God, once I do the stuff, then you'll love me. And I want everybody in this room to know something, that God loves you exactly where you are. He, know, he loves you in your mess. He loves you in your mistakes. He loves you in your foolishness. He loves us in a rebellion. In fact, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you madly when you were madly off the reservation in a relationship with him. He's been pursuing us every minute since the moment we were born to be in a relationship with him. He looked at this guy who hadn't kept all these commandments like he thought, and he loved him. So the next time you feel like God's frowning down at his nose at you, that might be what the world's opinion of God is. That might be a church's opinion of what God is. But I want you to know Jesus looks at a guy who doesn't have it all together and he felt genuine love for this guy. But then he goes on, he tells him, check this out, I love it. Come on, y'all read this with me. There's still what? One thing you haven't done. Like just one? Again, all it takes is one. All it takes is one and he knows it. And this guy, he knows it's coming. Because again, his question, what he really wants to know is he's asking a good teacher, how good do I have to be? How good is good enough? Like, I've done all the stuff. I've kept all the rules. I've got it all together. How good is good enough? And he's waiting for Jesus to say, hey, you're good enough. But he's asking the only one who really knows the standard of good. He's not going with the world consensus. Just be better than the person down the road. 
Just as long as you're not as bad as whoever. As long as you're a pretty good person. No, man, Jesus drills down and he gets into this guy's business. He says, hey, you got one thing that's not right. He goes on, he tells him what it is. Check out next verse. Come on, y'all read this with me. He says, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. This is what he's saying. Brody, help me out, brother, with some keys. He says this. He says, hey, listen, he said, I want you to know something that there's one thing you're lacking, and it's not, the issue here is not money. The issue here is that this guy loved money more than he loved God. And the very first commandment is you'll have no other gods before me. Don't put anything in your life that's more important than me. And this guy, even though he loved his parents, even though he didn't cheat people, even though he didn't steal, even though he loved people, his relationship with God wasn't right. Because his money was more important than God. And so Jesus said, hey, you want to fix the problem? Then then go deal with the money issue. Now again, Jesus isn't teaching that if you're good enough, like you can get to heaven. How good is good enough? No one's good enough. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. So even though we're not good enough, God is God enough. And God made a way through his son Jesus so we could find a brand new beginning, so we could receive the gift of grace. What God is doing here, what Jesus is doing in this guy, he doesn't really want him to go sell his stuff. He wants him to demonstrate that God, nothing's more important than you. And money's the thing in the way, so that's what he tells him to deal with. And then he tells him what he tells every person, including you and I. Come and follow me. You know what this guy found out that day? That to be a Christ follower, it takes total commitment. It takes total commitment. Jesus will accept nothing less than your whole life. I remember a guy told me early in ministry, that's exactly what he said. He said, anybody who ever told you it'll take less than everything to serve God lied to you. Well, I, just, I mean, if all I do is pray the prayer one time and go to church every now and then, I'm golden, right? Mm-mm. No, because when the grace of God impacts your heart, if you've really received that grace, man, it'll storm your life that you just want to love God in return. Like, I don't have to do it. Like, I just want to serve God. I want to find ways in my life for him to be honored and him to be lifted up. And so when this guy runs to Jesus and says, hey, good teacher, hey, what do I got to do? Jesus tells him the answer. Like, you got to die to you and come and follow me. You got to stop doing what you want and come do it my way. And see, that's where the dig is because all of us want to kind of keep, we want to keep one hand on our life and kind of one hand in the church, one hand in what we used to do and one hand in who God is. And God says, you got to let go of all that other stuff. And notice what this guy's response is. Verse 22. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had great or many possessions. He's like, I couldn't do it. Now, let's be honest. Some of you guys, if you had the money this guy had, you probably would leave sad too. <laughs> In fact, it's kind of funny because we issued two weeks ago, 90-day tithe challenge. A lot of you in this room are like, man, I, I love God. I'm all in. 10%, are you crazy? Jesus told this guy, give it all. And he left. Here's the funny thing, and I'll drop this and we'll close. A lot of theologians believe that this guy that's listed right here in the story, even though we're not given his name, that as you kind of follow history, that there's a guy who was kind of had the connotation, who gained the reputation, who had the name during the time of Jesus as the richest, youngest ruler. And we know this because... 
Josephus, who was the Jewish historian of the time, kind of lets us in. In fact, Josephus, and some of you guys who were in college, maybe you'd recognize that name. Josephus was related to the guy who was the richest, youngest ruler. It was his brother. Anybody know who it was? His name's Nicodemus. Nicodemus, if you don't know the story, Nicodemus is the guy that comes to Jesus in John chapter 3 and he asks, and he's having this conversation again, like, what do I got to do to get eternal life? And Jesus tells him this. He says, you got to be born again. And the guy gets a, like this crazy mental picture, like you don't want in your head. And he says, like, wait a minute, like, how do I, like, how do I get back up in mom and come back out? Because that's weird. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm not talking about this physical thing. He says, you need to be born by the spirit of God. You need to allow God to do something where you're brand new on the inside. See, this term salvation or born again, to become a child of God, it's all these different words. What it means is, is that you allow God to do a work in you you can never do for yourself. You allow God to give you grace. It gives you a new heart, a new life, and a new perspective, and it puts you in a relationship with him. And this guy, Nicodemus, see, he didn't, he didn't deal with the situation then, but Nicodemus, if I'm right, and he's the guy, he was the guy who went on to become one of the key followers of Jesus. He was the guy who was one of the first ones where Jesus, when he was crucified, he was responsible in part for getting Jesus to the tomb he was buried in. So even though here he didn't really deal with the issue, at one point I think he walked away and I think he started hearing more and more stories about Jesus, like Jesus healing people, Jesus setting people free, Jesus teaching things no one else taught. And I think he just came to himself at a moment where like, like I, do I really believe that he's a good teacher? Do I really believe that he's the standard of what's good? And if I do, then I have no choice but to listen to him. And I believe he came to the conclusion that like, I'm going to do it his way, and I'm going to stop doing it my way. I'm going to stop listening to the opinion of this world, and I'm going to listen to the opinion of Christ. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's got to be first. Nothing else can be first in my life but him. And I believe there came a time that he put Christ first. And so this morning, I want to give a lot of people in this room, because here's a question for you. What's your one thing? Jesus looked at a guy that had, like, a lot of life together. Again, rich, young clout, importance, pretty good guy, kept a lot of the commandments. But Jesus said one thing. Everybody shout one thing. It's one thing. Here's the question for you. What's the one thing that's holding you back? What's the one thing keeping you from another level? If you're here and you're not serving God, what's the one thing that's keeping you from making the decision? If you're here and you're a Christ follower, what's the one thing that's keeping you from going to another level? I want to pray for us today all over this room. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you that, Lord, you are a good teacher. You're the one we can come to with the answers we seek. Father, even though we can ask around this world and get, God, so many opinions and replies and responses, and all of them different, we can come to you and get the one answer we need, not just an opinion and not just a helpful opinion, but we can get the truth. And I pray all over this room, people that are not serving Christ, God, people that have not surrendered their hearts, would recognize today the one thing, the one thing in their life that's more important, the one thing in their life they're holding on to, whether it's money or relationships or pursuing some dream, whatever it is, if you're here, man, and you, you love God, but there's this one thing that's holding you back from another level, what's the one thing? What's the one thing? Because God is saying, listen, if I'm really your Lord, if I'm really a good teacher, I'm going to know it because you'll listen to what I say. And so, Lord, I pray God put in every heart in this room a heart of obedience. 
If you're here with your eyes closed and head bowed, just one more minute. Listen, you've never said yes to Jesus. I want you to know he looks at you and he loves you. And he knows your mistakes and he knows your shortcomings, but he loves you in spite of it. And he came and he paid a tremendous price to be in a relationship with you. Because again, you're never going to be good enough in your own ability, but God is God enough in his grace. And if you'll say yes this morning, God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I'm telling you, he will change your heart and your life right where you sit. So all over this room and though watching at home, I want to just give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, as I get ready to pray, if you want to say, Pastor Steve, I've never said yes to Jesus. Or I said yes a long time ago and I know I'm not serving him. Other things have come in and they're first in my life. And today I want to say yes. Today I want to give my life to Christ. I want you to lift a hand real high if you want to be included in this prayer before we close. If that's you, you say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. Today's the day I say yes. I want you to lift a hand real high. I'm going to pray for you all over this room. Come on, lift it up. Leave it up so I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. In the middle. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the Bible says that if we'll say it out of our mouth, if we'll confess out of our mouth, Jesus, you're my Lord. Like that's who you are. So that means I'm going to submit myself. The greater the qualification the greater the submission. If I really believe you're my Lord, if I really believe you're the truth, if I really believe that you know what you're saying, then God, we're going to submit ourselves to it. So in a prayer together, every voice, if you'll pray this with me, especially if you lifted a hand, say, Jesus, I believe that you're the truth. You're my Lord. And from this point forward, I submit my life to you. Help me to trust you and to follow you. I believe you died for my sin and you rose from the dead for my victory. Help me to walk it out. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank God today?